Welcome to Anecdotal Anatomy, the weekly podcast that explores the nooks and crannies of living in a body. Sometimes it's the two of us having a casual conversation through the filter of that day's topic, and other times we have special guests who add their voices to the chat. We are yoga educators and body workers with decades of experience as practitioners and teachers. It is with reverence and joy that we choose to take these conversations off the mat and into the microphone. Our aim is to understand the human experience through the stories our bodies hold and the stories they tell. Since having a body is the one thing we all have in common, it seems like a good place to start. We are your hosts. I am Teresa Tobin Macy. And I'm Sherry Sadoff Hank. Join us on this journey of discovery as we sleuth our way to the connections of our individual tales to the collective experience of being alive. Hello, everyone. Hi, we are in the same place, finally. Yay! <laughs> We're sitting outside in, in my gazebo. This is Sherry. and Hi, I'm Teresa. Um, and we are going to be talking a lot today about things that you may feel you've wandered into a neighborhood that maybe you belong in, certainly, but might be someplace you didn't expect. So, you know, one of my favorite quotes from The Lord of the Rings is, all who wander are not lost. So the thing about creating a neighborhood and creating a space is allowing for people, things, ideas to wander in you know, stay for the time. You know, the old saying, you know, the reason, the season and a lifetime. Maybe you wander into this neighborhood for a reason today, or maybe you hang out for a few episodes uh, for a season, as it were, season three, where we are right now. And maybe you're here, you're lifers, maybe you're life anecdotal anatomy people. But for whatever reason, you're here. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. And because we are talking about neighborhoods and connection, what better place to do that than out in nature. So I'd like to welcome in our birds. Hopefully you'll hear them in the background. Since we're outside, we may also hear children's laughter. You know, school I think is out. Maybe it's finished. So it and it was an early day. So people are home. People are home. Yep. So maybe we will hear the other people who live in the neighborhood here. I'm at Cherry's neighborhood. This is her beautiful space. So welcome to the outdoor neighborhood and all of the beautiful wildlife around. So, you know, we started talking about building this, this neighborhood of the holistic place. And just so we can get an idea of looking at the whole to see the individual pieces and to honor both. And so that's kind of what we're doing today. We're continuing with fascia, but we're going to move into some more of the structures and systems like the bridge. We're walking, we're crossing the bridge now from where we were into what we're building. And so remember, we're still in construction. So nothing has been completed. And you know, I've talked about living in New York City before. And as much as it feels like, oh, New York, it's a thing, it's done, there is always construction. There are always skyscrapers being, you know, leveled, being raised to the ground and then rebuilt. And so, you know, we are still building and we will be rebuilding and checking out things that maybe we've created that we want to smash and recreate. <laughs> and yeah. since we have recently appointed ourselves as architects, <laughs> architects of the, of the holistic place, we're also going to use that architect 
or being architects as metaphors for the architecture of the body and how this body is formed, how it relates to each other, and also that same idea that you were just talking about, that it's always in this constant state of evolution, that things break down, and we talked about that in our last episode, that you know the body deforms and reforms, so it is also constantly in a state of construction. And, you know, I'm pretty excited, Sherry, that you and I both became architects without one day of school. (laughs) Not only not one day of school, but, you know, not so great at math from my end. You know, certain things that one would require to be an an actual architect. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we are storytellers, so we're using the architect archetype as a metaphor for what we're, we're hoping to do and to help sort of make these big ideas a little more accessible. Yeah. And when we come to this idea of the bridge, let's talk about bridges for a little bit and what they are. You know, maybe we'll begin with a simple bridge. Um, We are both body workers, yoga teachers. And over the years of, you know, sharing yoga with other people, uh, it really became crystal clear that the mat or the meditation cushion is like going to school. It's the place where we study and we learn so that we can take what we practice there, what we learn, what we understand, what we embody off the mat, off the cushion. So the bridge between, you know, these practices and how they integrate into our life. You know, if you've taken a yoga class or have sat on a meditation cushion or even laid on on a massage table, you know, there's a feeling sometimes of alchemy. You arrive in a certain way and you leave much more golden than when you came in. So whether someone has worked on your body to help release, you know, tension and other sort of physical experiences, or you've you moved your body in a way that you've opened up your pranic avenues so that they're flowing more freely, or that you've sat in meditation and allowed your mind the space to slow down, to have some reflection in those moments, uh, there's that feeling at the end of having, having transformed. And so what we're hoping to do through these conversations and through the programs that we're developing right now, so stay tuned, um, is to be able to provide actual practices and ways that we can move that energy, take that energy off the cushion, off the mat, and off the table so that our plebeian lives, our everyday experience, ordinary existences can be infused with a sense of that that magic. And maybe you are the therapist or the yoga teacher or the yoga therapist, the facilitator who is providing information to the person who comes to you for help with maybe some pain in their body or they have a goal that they're looking to accomplish or their students that come into your class and you want to be able to share deeper tools, deeper practices for well-being and holistic well-being. So everyone's welcome here in the neighborhood, whether you're the person on the table or the person standing next to it, whether you are the person on the mat or the person walking around um, with instruction and alignment cues, offering meditation practices and helping us to breathe with more ease. And as people who have been those people walking around and giving that instruction, it is equally as important to be mindful and to have 
practiced these practices to use these tools that we're sharing in the teaching. The teaching is also a practice. The sharing, the massaging is also a practice. It's, there's never, it's always in construction. There's always a sense of, oh, wait a second, what does this not mean as I'm you know, rolling it around and trying to release it? And also to see in that holistic way where the experience is. The pain may present in one place, but the original trauma or the original injury may have started somewhere completely different. So what we're trying to do different from so much of our health system, which is dealing with symptoms, is sometimes to be able to locate where the root cause is, because we can help alleviate some of those symptoms through movement and massage and meditation. But to get to root cause, we have to have a deeper understanding of how we're put together and, and what it's all about. I'm not saying I know all the answers. This is also a practice trying to figure this out. That's a really great point because for every class I have ever taken, I leave that class, that course that I've studied with, with new tools in my toolbox, but also with the understanding and the curiosity mm -hmm. to know that, okay, now I've got this far, what's next? Where is my next class? Who's my next teacher? So with each thing I've ever learned, I've always left wanting more. Uh, and I think that's one of our goals too, is to be able to continuously offer mm -hmm. and bridge one bit of learning to the next. Yeah. And one of the things that I had seen in, in my research for this was that stillness is as important as movement. So while we may want more at the end of learning, because there's always this curiosity, I think it's important to also know when the teacup is full when there's there's time to step back and absorb and just sit with whatever it is that has been presented. Because for every teacher that is teaching a certain way, there will be another teacher who's teaching the same material in a different way. And so to really begin to understand who you are as the practitioner and the student, so that when all of this information comes in, we can practice discernment and stillness with it so that we're not constantly filling the cup and it begins to overflow so much that we're no longer taking it in. So there's that balance to, to come to also, I think. I also love when we kind of self-identify talking about archetypes as me being the yin and you being the yang, and me talking about wanting to move and get more <laughs> and you saying, okay, but you really have to still slow down mm -hmm. and sit with it and yeah. absorb it and integrate and embody the knowledge that you have before you start building on it. So I really like when we kind of play games right? and it shows that there's a bridge in all of us. We all have a little yang and a little yin. As far as architects go, <laughs> I think you probably, you know, in the yin and the yang, we do have both because each of the symbols has a dot of the other in the symbol to imply that you may be more dominant in one and you know, but we still always have the other. So I'm just looking at you as the dominant architect, someone who, <laughs> understands the structures and systems in a way that inspire me to anecdotize. I know <laughs> I'm not putting eyes at the end of that to tell stories as a result of this knowledge. So please, whoosh, Teresa, take it away. Well, I'm going to begin with something called tensegrity. And, you know, again, we're architect architects now. And that term tensegrity came out of architecture mm -hmm. and knowing that, um, it is anecdotal. I love to use stories 
as ways to understand large concepts without being like kind of pigeonholed into every single thing has to be exactly right. It's more used to help conceptualize something that's large into something that's bite-sized and easy to integrate. So I'm going to begin with Tensegrity and use the Golden Gate Bridge as the example. And the Golden Gate Bridge um, was designed by Buckminster Fuller. Yeah, Buck Buckminster Fuller. That's it. I hope I said your name right. Sorry. <laughs> so, but the Golden Gate Bridge, if you've ever seen it, it's a long, long structure of a bridge out in the Pacific Ocean with lots of wind and lots of movement that's going to happen. So it needs a solid structural support. So that support is made of something called trusses, right? It's a rigid foundation of triangular metal shapes that support the road that we're going to drive over. So there's this rigid framework that gives it a solid compressive force to hold the bridge up. But if that was all there was, it's not strong enough for us to drive over or to sustain the winds that are going to be out there in the, in the sp Pacific <laughs> Ocean. So we ba they balanced, he balanced that rigid structure with steel suspension ropes. And this is where the strength and the power comes in. As you're driving over a bridge, and I'm sorry if some people I know are bridge, you know, a little okay. bit phobic yeah. on a bridge. But as you drive over a bridge, especially if there's traffic and you're going slow, you might feel it like bounce a little bit. And that can be a little unnerving. I know it was for me, a big truck goes by and you're like, whoa, this whole bridge is kind of bouncy. But the strength is in its ability to move, to distribute that weight and their, that force across the entire system by allowing those guy wires to strengthen and loosen in different parts of the bridge to absorb and distribute the weight and the shock. And our body works much the same. So we have a compressive force, right? We can think of our bones. If you feel yourself, you know, I always like to touch. So if you feel the hard parts of your body, you know that underneath there's this hard compressive force, your bones, they create this compression and structural integrity. But if we didn't have the soft guy wires, the ligaments, the tendons, the fascial network, we would just be a pile of bones on the floor because the bones don't touch. They are suspended through soft tissue in the same way that tensegral art is self-sustaining. Look it up, uh, you know, Google tensegral art. It's amazing. And all of these bones find their place and their alignment based on the soft tissues. And that's where movement comes in. And the yin-yang as well. We've got the hard and the soft, you know, we're balancing these seemingly oppositional forces. And I love the image when I was doing this research about the bones floating in the soft tissues, you know, that that's what gives us the form. You talk about the fabric of form. Mm -hmm. How does this, all of this information about tensegrity help us communicate taking it off? You know, we've got all of this information about force and compression and distribution of weight, which is a very literal feeling um, experience of how tensegrity lends itself to 
the individual car and the collective people kind of moving over this bridge. But how can we kind of use that information to support this idea of moving off the cushion, off the mat, off the table? What do we do with this information? So that's a great question, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and we can take this idea of tensegrity and call it biotensegrity. We can take it and turn it inward and say, this architectural paradigm mm -hmm can also be used in how our body is structured. Now, in research, I'm gonna say right here, in research, there's still a lot of give and take. Construction. And construction going <laughs> on as to what different um, researchers and different viewpoints are mm -hmm. about what biotensegrity is. So we're gonna keep this in an anecdotal, but mm -hmm. an anecdotal storytelling answer, uh, not to be like, checked with research, okay? So when we think of tensegrity and how the, this bridge is an architect mm -hmm. and it's a structure, our body is an architectural structure. We've talked about fascia being the um, architecture of the body because mm -hmm. it integrates and unites everything together. So in the same way that each one of those cars on that bridge are an individual unit, an individual family or person going across mm -hmm. from one town to the next, right? It connects the two towns. They're also sharing that space at the exact same mm -hmm. time. Yeah. They are all being supported by that bridge. And it's the same way in our body. We may, I might want to take a drink of my coffee. So my arm is going to go, all right, you know, it's time to drink that coffee. But as I do that, this movement goes through my entire body. Everything has little micro movements from, you know, my brain thinking, oh, I'm thirsty, I need that coffee, to sending that through my thoughts, through and telling my hand, it's time to move over, pick up that coffee, and signaling the receptors that are communicating that information from brain to hand. So let's just think that we're looking for an optimal tensile structure. And at that point, I'm going to read a quote by a guy named Robert Fong, F-O-N-G. He's a partner at Jericho Physio. And he says that your body carries your history. All the stresses, accidents, and illnesses leave their mark, and your body adjusts to deal with them. Sometimes the source of today's pain is something that appears unrelated, that happened in the past. What we've learned after years of experience is that if one area is damaged, it affects the balance and symmetry in other areas. Tensegrity, we were just talking about tensegrity, is a useful model for understanding how damage in one area can cause pain in other regions, even though they appear unrelated. And so this is kind of what I was thinking about as we let the truck go by. We're in a neighborhood and there's, you know, utility trucks. This idea that something can happen, an injury, a trauma that some are bigger. We know if we fall and we hurt ourselves, the feeling could start in the low back, but that at some point it may rise to the upper back, the neck, and it may present at a different time. But if there are smaller traumas, smaller injuries that go without notice, it may start, say, in the shoulder, but then you may feel it somewhere else. So where the origin of it is not always where you may be feeling it. So this idea of 
you know, the distribution. I know when Teresa did our anatomy training back in 2010, she brought this big Halloween um, spider web and we all got around it and held it up and someone tugged it at one end and you could see it move on the totally opposite end of the spectrum. So that is to say that, you know, one area necessarily affects the other. And this feeds into our individual and the collective. It feeds into this idea of our total interdependence, not only with each other and the world outside of ourselves, but even in the world within ourselves. You know, that each little membrane, each little thing that's wrapped in fascia necessarily connects to every other part of the body because it's all wrapped in the same shit. <laughs> you know, it's all the same stuff, only done differently, mm -hmm. is my understanding. Like in the neighborhood, <laughs> on your street, there are many other people that are connected to this neighborhood and you all drive down the same street. You Some a little too fast. <laughs> Sometimes, yes, we yeah. were not paying attention. <laughs> so there's these connections that say, this is a holistic place. And then there's the separation. There's your house, your neighbor's house, your property. So we have this connection. My teacher taught me in massage school, find the pain and look elsewhere for the cause. And it seems like such a simple sentence to say, but it has influenced my bodywork practice. That one simple sentence throughout the past 25, yep, 25 years that I have been a body worker because it opened my vision to have somebody come in and say, you know what, Teresa, I'm having low back pain. And for me not to go, oh, well, I'll just work on your low back for the next mm -hmm. um, hour. But to be able to open my vision and the lens through which I observed and palpated. So I'm going to talk, talk about That's touch as a way and palpation as a way of seeing through the sense of touch. And what it helped me to do was say, I honor that your low back hurts and we're are, we are going to look not only at the place that you're specifically feeling discomfort mm -hmm. today, but let's find all the contributors. Let's look at the quadricep muscles and how they may affect the position of the pelvis. Maybe that's a contributor. You had mentioned earlier, if one place is injured, the rest of the body is going to compensate. So maybe Just that there. injury caused a limp, mm -hmm. you know, you, Maybe the low back came because you had a sprained ankle and you started to limp. The sprained ankle got better, but the gait never changed back. So now that load, instead of being so symmetrical in this balanced gait of walking, now it has a little limp and your low back is like, oh, come on. Can you just straighten this out and find some alignment so that uh, we can find ease in that gait? And how important the story is. So when you do your intake, you know, we don't do intake in public yoga classes. We don't ask our students before they come in. I mean, the studio may ask some questions on their, um, you know, forms or whatever for insurance or whatnot, but we don't ask about their stories. And so we don't know what their compensation um, activities were after a, an injury or even if they're aware that their body shifted. And I always <laughs> I actually told this story in a couple of classes because I think it holds true to our own ignoring of the piles in our body. And when I say piles, I don't mean what you think I mean. So uh, I, I'm not the neatest person. I have piles of crap everywhere. And so I have to deliberately clean them up every once in a while. And years ago, I had had this pile of crap in my sort of dining room area 
that was there for years. And so I created a new navigation path to go around it for years. It just, and it got to the point where I no longer saw the pile of crap. I just knew how to get around it. And one day I was like, you know what? I think I need to just clean up the house. And so all of a sudden there's that pile of crap. I cleaned it and I went, oh my God, there's been space there the whole time. <laughs> there was all this, ex now having lived in New York City where space is at a premium, I thought how very, you know, sort of wasteful of me to keep that pile there when there was all of this space. So once I cleaned the space, my pathways became easier, became more direct. And so it's the same in the body when, you know, the sprained ankle, for example, you know, we're limping, we're, we're creating new pathways to feel okay with that limp. And then, like you said, that the ankle feels better, but we never addressed the pile. It just kind of disappeared on its own. I have a tooth where, you know, I, I don't want to get into all my teeth shit, but this one, I don't have a whole lot of teeth left in my head. So I'm trying to save them all, like my eyebrows, like I can't, I can't pluck another hair um, that I chew on this one side and it hurts when I'm chewing. But so I take it to the other side. That's my new pathway. So I tell my dentist or the, the hygienist this and she says, oh, well, sometimes with the old cavities, you know, that there's something going on, but we don't want to go in there and create new damage that might result in losing the tooth. So I'm creating these other pathways so that I can keep this tooth, but I don't know what's happening while I'm doing that. Maybe I'm creating more, <laughs> more shit on the other side. Ah, it just, it's, it's always in construction, always trying to figure this shit out. Man. Ah, yes, ah, we're yeah. always in construction. <laughs> you talked about pathways and just a little um, yeah. spoiler alert, you know, pathways in the body, we might call them meridians, right? And, right. you know, we can't share all that we want to share at one time, but we do. We will get to episodes of talking about what the meridian pathways are. I'm talking about transferring load throughout the entire body, that biotensegral system of organization in the body, this biologic organization of how our body works. And we're relating it to an organization of how a neighborhood is built or how we, um, you know, live together in a peaceful and organized way mm -hmm. and you know in the body we might call that homeostasis we're always looking for this homeostatic balance where things are working in their most ideal form mm -hmm. and when we talk about creating the bridge from how our individual bodies um, how our well-being in our individual bodies are mm -hmm. and look at it as a model for the well-being of how we live in our communities together we talked a little about that in episode 25 and 26 right that these characteristics of the great communicator the connector right fascia being the great connector the bridge and connections right <laughs> we're looking at this holistic balance and construction that's in our physical form and then offering ways to take our practices and bridge our practices from our mat mm -hmm. to the way that we live to how we relate to one another our environment our families and also our understanding of self 
Yeah, and in yoga classes, we often talk a lot about all beings. And maybe it's more of a, a Buddhist um, perspective of all beings. May all beings be happy and free. May our dedications connect to all beings. And you know, at this point, because of our digital connections, we're able to live in a more global community. So all beings has maybe a different flavor than it did a generation ago um, or even a decade ago. But the idea of a bridge, being able to connect disparate lands, islands from water, you know, troubled bridges over troubled water. We talked about the Rainbow Bridge, where we imagine our pets travel to get to the other side. That that's someone said that someone made that up one day and created this idea that so many of us embrace now. So there's a collective around this understanding of what a rainbow bridge is different from a rainbow flag, which celebrates diversity and to celebrates who we are as human beings and the LGBTQIA plus community, you know, that we know what that means. There's a collective understanding. There's a collective understanding about the rainbow bridge. So there's this idea that we get to celebrate through our connections. I don't know, maybe I just right now I'm feeling celebratory. I'm feeling this connection to to humans and to my pets and to all of your pets and the wild. I mean, I, this neighborhood I live in, I know I've said it before, it's like northern exposure with the moose walking down the street. We've got family of deer walking down the street. We've got the red fox that you know runs past my window several times a day, sometimes with a squirrel in its mouth. You know, there's this witnessing piece of nature in the wild that is a reflection and the domestic that is a reflection of what's going on inside that's um not separate from who we are and i always picture when i unfortunately lose one of my best friends and i know that they're that she they're all most of my um best friends that had four legs were she's when she's passing over that bridge is that all of her predecessors are on the other side, wagging their tail and saying, we're here to greet you, come on over. And that's the other thing about these bridges is, you know, we cross over them at transition points in our life. Mm -hmm. And we want to know that as we're going over, yeah, it might be a journey to get over to the other side of that bridge. And, you know, when we get to the other side, what's waiting for us? Right. There's a journey. There's a trail. You know, I love going over the causeway into Long Beach Island. I mean, that's a beautiful <laughs> place to go to get from one gorgeous place to another. Um, but we're on this journey of bridging and building a community. And I always I'm always so curious about how they relate to how each individual is. And, you know, in, in terms of tensegrity, in terms of the bridge model, it creates this internal pre-stress, right? And we think of the word as stre of stress as bad, but stress isn't necessarily bad. Mm -hmm. It is sometimes a great motivator for us to get some things done. And, you know, stress is something that's a part of life and managed stress is maybe brings us into the sympathetic nervous system which makes uh, lets us get things done it lets lets us get through the construction and get to the next place but in tensegrity there's this internal pre-stress that prevents collapse 
And so when we talk about movement, we pre-stress the body to allow us to go out for a jog, to take a power yoga class instead of the yin yoga class, right? <laughs> <laughs> to run around and play with the kids on the ground or roll down a hill. We want the body to understand what that activity is going to be, to prepare for it, and then to execute. And that is the same in building a community. There's this pre-stress of planning and, and laying out and creating architectural designs, deciding how all the pieces fit together so that there is a prevention mm -hmm. of a collapse in the personal unit, my body. I don't want it to collapse into mm -hmm. dis-ease. Mm -hmm. I don't want my family relationships to collapse into a dis-ease, mm -hmm. nor do we want our community or the universal, the collective. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when we look at this model of biotensegrity, again, lots of different ways to look at it and still a lot of research on how that fits in. But to pre-stress, to prepare, mm -hmm. is a good model. It is, and we need stress to grow. I mean, our baby teeth cut through, you know, mm -hmm. the big teeth cut through the gums. They need the stress of that to push the teeth out, the seeds in the ground need to push through, they need to stress, they need to, you know, bump up against the earth in order to, to rise. And this idea of the bridge is also supportive. It supports the journey from one place to the other. It gives you the ground to be able to go from point A to point B. And so this idea, I, I started thinking about my mom. She did a film called Standing on My Sister's mm. Shoulders. And so someone had to be the first one to feel the stress enough. And that it's a film about women and civil rights. And that's another story. You can go out and look for it, standing on my sister's shoulders. But this idea that it took, you know, someone to start to feel enough stress to say, I'm ready to grow beyond this. This idea that we need to see what stressors are out there that can help us grow, that can help us move from from homeostasis, from a balance that we have found from whatever the experience is, to move and grow. We're in construction, we're moving to another place, we're moving over the bridge, so that when we land there, we can find our homeostasis there and continue that growth. I mean, I had my big teeth for a long time until I had to have five of them ripped out of my head. <laughs> so I had found this balance for a while and now there's a new normal, there's this new space to be. But it took, it took stress, it took that, that piece. Um, I know when I was looking at the definition of tensegrity, it said it's a combination of tension and integrity. And that's what they bring together, that we need the tension, the stress to grow. But, and this idea of balance, too much, just too much. That's what's going to cause the dis-ease. That's what's going to you know, take us out of balance and all of that. We need to find that, that space where we can, you know, grow, grow and move. Yeah. It's an eight, like intensegrity from what I've just heard you say, it's, it's an asymmetric, mm -hmm. compressive set of elements that have a continuous tensile force on opposing sides. And the opposing energies balance each other out. So if I'm going to just take a moment to go into meridians, mm -hmm. being a yoga take teacher, a take a moment. Yeah. Let's think about mountain pose, or if you're not a yogi, standing up straight. Right? You just get up to walk. So upright, um, upright balance. Anatomical neutral. Yes. And that's great. Yes. yes anatomical right? neutral. So we're standing, <laughs> we're standing up. 
the opposing forces to um, support this, we're standing on two feet, right? There's got to be a lot of balance of opposing energies to support this uprightness that we're looking to execute either in mountain pose or to take a walk around the neighborhood and see our friends. So in a meridian model of how the body fits together, or just even take that word out if you don't want it, the front of the body as a holistic set of tensile muscles, fascia, mm -hmm. its job is to bring us up. So we align, we feel this energy that lifts us up as if we're being lifted from the top of the head. And the back of the body, everybody's heard this, even if you're not a yogi, bring the shoulders back and down. And when you do that, you can feel this descending energy in the back body. And when we have great posture, the front of the body ascends, the back of the body descends, and the two together make this posture effortless. And that's what I mean when I say this continuous tensile force opposing one energy to the opposite energy. Mm -hmm. When you put the two together, it's like walking around in um, a sphere that is balanced so that we don't have to think about uprightness. We just get up and walk. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think at this point to kind of bring it together, to tie it all up, I don't have a particular practice to give you today um, that represents all that we've talked about, but I do have some homework for you that is related to bridging our more um, formal practices on mat and cushion and table and taking it off. And that is to bring a sense of mindfulness to a, a concerted time of your day. So to take time to decide, put it on your calendar, say, I'm going to take 10 minutes or I'm going to take an hour or I'm going to take when I, while I'm walking the dog, while I'm doing the dishes, whatever activity that you're doing that you are going to do this on, to just be mindful of the distribution of your weight. Are you standing more on one foot than the other? Do you pronate? Do you come to the inner edges of your feet? Or do you, what's the other one? Um, apinate? No, the um, pronate and supinate. supinate. Do you supinate and go to the outer edges of your feet? Do you have a tendency to curl your pelvis under when you stand that might give you uh, an Urkel look? I'm dating myself always, but that sort of um, curling under. Or do you tilt your pelvis forward and open up your chest and have, you know, more of a Mrs. O'Higgins? There's another dating from Carol Burnett, you know, sort of sticking your butt out a little bit. You know, does your head go forward? If you're lifting your arms up, does your head come forward? Little things to just notice what your body does without judgment. This is what we did last time. There was no judgment in looking at your body in the mirror. There was no judgment in looking and seeing what was in your range of vision. So even now, as an objective observer of your body habitual movements and, and standings, how is it that you show up in your body, in your everyday activities? So that when, you, when we add on as we go with actual practices, you might be able to take these observations and it wouldn't hurt if you wanted to put on your camera, uh, your phone, turn it on video. You have yourself um, video yourself doing an activity and then observe yourself as someone looking in. Mm. You can do both, but to kind of get a better understanding of how you physically show up in your everyday life. 
I love that practice, mm. you know, yeah. embodying and feeling and creating this proprioceptive awareness of where you are in space and where all your parts are <laughs> holistically and not united together. I don't have a specific practice either, but I do have homework. <laughs> so we're moving from practices to homework, and this could be a practice. So my suggested homework is to go for a walk in your neighborhood. So to pick a time, maybe it's daily, maybe you don't have time for that, but to schedule a time to take a walk in your neighborhood and just notice, be mindful. Notice what kind of trees are in your neighborhood, or maybe there aren't trees. Maybe you notice the colors of the houses or the color combinations. I love, um, you know, the dark blue house with white shutters. Um, maybe notice uh, the sounds. Is it as we are with these birds who hopefully you're getting all of this great nature that's coming across? What are the sounds in your neighborhood? Maybe they're children laughing in the backyards as they're playing or their dogs barking, birds playing. The other night I was sitting with my window open and the neighbors were laughing and singing um, and I could hear them. It was a little late. I mean, it was, <laughs> I think they finished at like midnight. So maybe you don't want to have that, but, <laughs> but um, just simply look at your neighborhood with a different lens from a different perspective. Maybe if you already take a walk, change where you go or start going in the opposite direction and come back the way that like I go around the block and I find that I always come out, go left and go around the block. Maybe come out and go right and see what it looks like in the opposite and what else you notice. So I think both I love that. I love that. When I lived in New York and if I, I tempt for many years and so sometimes I'd be in a short term temp situation but I'd have to go there every day and I would always find a different way to walk there or get there. Whether if I had to take the subway, I'd get off maybe a stop or two early and, you know, walk different streets. But if I had to cross Central Park, I would, you know, cross and maybe go down a different road. But I, I think that's such a great, great practice. If you have a bridge in your neighborhood, that's a walking bridge. In Bucks County, we're lucky enough to have like wooden bridges, covered bridges that are all around that you could find. But whatever your neighborhood is, if there's a walking bridge, uh, make that part of your route. Walk over the bridge. Notice what's on one side. You know, look down from above. What's below the bridge? Or is it crossing a street? Um, a street or a highway? Is it crossing a stream or a river? Troubled waters. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Or, you know, a flowing, beautiful um, Delaware River right. filled with water because we had rain this morning. So if you can bring a bridge into your stroll, pause at the beginning. Know that you are moving to another destination, that you're in this place of connecting one to the other. Pause in the middle, look around, and you then know, keep going. You, it, There's another thing that you brought up with the covered bridges here. We did a covered bridges tour with my kids. We, uh, My husband and I took them and we just drove to all these covered bridges. And a lot of them are one lane and a lot of them are really, really old. So there's the bridges connect us to our past as well. And these bridges are old and some of them are really fucking scary. They weren't built for SUVs or trucks. They were sure. not. They were built for what? Horses and carriages. Right. Um, one more bridge story. You know, we'll see <laughs> how many bridge more. stories we can more. have. I was in Costa Rica and they have hanging bridges and the scenery oh. on those bridges are gorgeous. Mm. I mean, it's over a deep crev crevice. 
crevice, crevasse, potato, potato. But, you know, they're the ones that you see in those movies where the people are halfway across and boom, they break. (laughs) So, you know, I was a little bridge phobic. And, you know, I had to keep reminding myself Mm -hmm. that it was going to move because with each step, I could feel the bridge sway. Uh And I was really happy when I got got to the other side. But, you know, so we have swaying bridges we've got covered bridges we've got we've that got... was it the nine mile bridge or seven mile bridge or 12 mile, whatever the one from miami to the keys oh, which yeah. is just i drove it once um mm-hmm. it was an, an interesting experience yeah or going to maryland the bridge tunnel where you're on the bridge and then you go under the water and come back up uh. so whatever bridges you have around <laughs> go explore them and um know that um we have bridges in our neighborhood, and that bridge is from us to you. Thank you for joining us today. If you like what you heard, please click the like and follow buttons and give us a five-star rating wherever you listen. These ratings help our grassroots podcast to become more visible to more people so we can include more stories. Written reviews are like stars on steroids. If you are so moved, please write a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We are just getting started. So if there's something you'd like us to cover, please email us at anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com. Tell us your stories. We'd like to thank our editor, Judith George, Keith Kenny for our music, and Cindy Fatsis for our photos. <laughs>